Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of the rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. What is up, family? Today is a very special episode, as it is the first time we host a member of the powerhouse label, Backwood Studios. With me as a producer, engineer, mixing, mastering, phenom, whose work is a pivotal reason why those Backwood Studios releases we've all come to know and love sound like that. And what I mean by that is an infinitely rewarding, perfectly chiseled brick of sound is how I'll put it. Who's engineered and produced on Brass, engineered Haram, two albums as fans of the show would know by now very clearly that aren't just good albums, in my opinion, but are personal classics. But his work extends outside of just this collective, having worked with other cutting edge artists, particularly from his hometown community in New York and Brooklyn. Heems, Big Baby Gandhi, friend of the show, Fatboy Sharif, Rap Ferreira, and many, many more. So I'm happy to welcome Steel Tip Dove to the show. How are you doing? Hey, man, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Hold you till nightfall in the day. Sunlight frozen on the lake through the glass, sun on my face. Bright and cold like champagne. I was late like you was late. I wasn't afraid. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. super excited, super excited to have you on. As many people know, listening to the show, like your work has been almost always in the rotation, whether it's through actual straight production, your engineering work, your like it, you've been all over the place. And then you have this upcoming, not upcoming, latest record that you just dropped that is absolutely fantastic, which we Thank will. You, certainly get into but before we get into your career and all the great work you've created i think right off the bat the words mixing mastering engineering get thrown around often mm-hmm. but i know that many of us listeners and i'm definitely including myself in this aren't always clear as to what these terms fully mean so i think it would be really helpful to just level set on what audio engineering mixing and mastering actually is and are these different individual processes and yeah like what, what are they all about so uh before i get into it too much willie green is actually the true uh are you familiar with green with willie yes, green uh, very very familiar he is truly the uh the final uh step so he is the true mastering engineer when it comes to specifically backwards releases if they're getting released if they're getting pressed to vinyl um, all those, all those projects you just mentioned, he, he mastered. So he's the mastering engineer for sure. And he mixes most of it as well. Like I mixed my own record and I have mixed, um, I mixed some stuff on terror management. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, 
for the most part, green is the, I, I am a mixing mastering engineer, but I, I just want to give a shout out to green right away because yeah. <clears throat> it is true that if it's going to come out on backwoods, it's going to be mastered at, at the, he's the mastering engineer, the final, final uh, audio touch. Um, record. So engineering, right? So engineering uh, is mixing and mastering, but engineering is also a term catch all term for recording as well. So I do, <clears throat> For years now, I've done, I'd say, 80 to 90% of the vocal engineering for Woods specifically. So I did uh, all hiding places. We recorded here in this room in, in, in my studio. Um, all terror management. I, I did some production. I executive produced on terror management as mm -hmm. well. Um, and, and, and tracking. So, so engineering, tracking all the vocals, recording all the vocals. Same thing for brass. Same thing for Haram. Um, but yeah, man. So... The first step, honestly, what I do a ton of as far as engineering goes, when I use that word, it's recording. We have a space here in Brooklyn. I've got a couple of rooms and people come over, we smoke, we chill. And I've been for for like, if you read the description of the album for years and years now, <clears throat> a lot of those people that you mentioned, just they, they come here to, to record their tracks. Now, what happens after everything is recorded here? So the process is like, when you're done recording, what you want from someone like me, the recording engineer at the end of the day is the raw files. So totally unedited, totally unmixed, just what I recorded into the microphone, give them to me. I'm going to take them home. The next step after that is you give them to the mixing engineer. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of times I am the mixing engineer as well. So they'll just give me the files right back or not even take them home mm -hmm. or we'll ship them right off to green, you know, raw like that. Um, but then, then the mixing process will start. And, you know, I mean, it, mixing is crazy, dude. It's so, I, I hate it and love it. And uh, I, I, the, the part that I hate about it is kind of funny. The part that I hate about it is you kind of get better every week, which is really frustrating because you're working on this project. You fucking love it. It comes out. Best shit you ever did. It's out. A month later, you're like, I'm better now. Oh, I, see, I wish I, I could. See. I would like, you know what I mean? And then you look at, you look at stuff three years ago, five years ago, six years ago, forget about it. You, you, you want to delete it and do, but, but just because you've gotten better. So mixing is that sort of thing where, you know, I would say writing and rapping, I don't do that. So I'm not going to speak to that, but I would assume, but making beats, right. That's not something that has the same effect. Like, do I think I get better at making beats every week the same way you get better at mixing? I don't know. I think with, with something like that, something creative like that, you get, that goes up and down. You make mm -hmm. a, the best beat on a Monday, the worst beat on a Tuesday, the you know, with, with something like mixing, that's more technical and you get more tools, you learn more. You really do kind of literally get better as time goes on. Like the little notches up yeah. on the quality, you know what I mean? With beats, it's more like a beat I made 10 years ago might be the hottest beat to someone else that I make two years from now. <clears throat> So I just, I find that kind of interesting, but that is hopefully at least a little insight. I don't know. I, I no, no, that was, that was really helpful. Uh, yeah. And I find the way you're describing it makes sense because it does seem like the more technical process. Like it does you're seem probably like experiencing with this podcast. You're like, Oh, yeah. oh shit. Yeah. I'm getting quicker with the editing. I'm getting, you know, like it, 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 the technical stuff you will just keep getting better at. So you, you kind of like in a, in a good way, you're like, damn, I wish I could go back and do this one again, you know, whatever. But but that's kind of how I feel about mixing and then mastering. Mastering is a crazy thing, too, because. All right. So when a song when a song is mixed, 
and then sent to a mastering engineer in a perfect world. And what's supposed to happen is nothing changes. There are no changes. You are just taking what the mixing engineer did and enhancing it. So the person who's doing the mix makes decisions. Like I'm going to put this sound a little bit to the right and turn it down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put this sound a little bit to the left and turn it up and put the bass a little bit lower. All those decisions that are made by a mixing engineer, when it goes to mastering and the mastering engineer does their job should just be those same decisions enhanced louder, mm -hmm. more depth. Cause you can feel music. So you can sometimes feel if it's like, in your body more and it's higher or lower, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so mastering's tricky too, man. Like I'm not a, I'm not as well-trained a mastering engineer, a, a really high end mastering engineer, someone like Willie green or, or, you know, decades long professional mastering engineers can just take a one track, a wave file and take it and master the hell out of it and make it loud and bright and have depth. I, I, I'm not as developed as a mastering engineer yet, so I really only like to master the songs that I mixed myself. I don't okay. really necessarily like to get one track sent to me by an artist and then just master it. I will take a project on. If I can mix it, I'll master my own mixes because it's just where I'm at. I don't have enough training or experience as just a mastering engineer quite yeah. yet. Very confident in mixing and mastering mm -hmm. my own mixes. Um but yeah, that's kind of the three-step process. The one I, the one I do the most, just in terms of the amount of time dedicated to it, is definitely recording, mm -hmm. recording engineer, tracking engineer, um, mixing second, and mastering third. No, that that's really great. Thank you for that. That's, yeah, of course. That's very illuminating because it's such a it's such a catch-all term. I feel like people are starting to pay more attention to mixing these days, even mm -hmm. like from the listener side. And I'm just like. I kind of like know the basics, but I'm just like, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, it happened a few yeah. years ago. I mean, like, I think one of the first really started to get really popular as an engineer was like Ali, right? One of uh, Kendrick's. Mixed, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mixed by Ali, right? Mm -hmm. Like Kendrick started to talk about the guy on the record. And, and, and you know, I know Drake's producer, but he was really getting a lot of attention as a beat maker, as a producer. Yeah, yeah right? it was he more was, from the beat He wasn't side. getting as much attention as the mixing engineer. Someone like Ali, he doesn't make beats. He's mm -hmm. he is quite literally the mixing and mastering engineer. So when he started getting attention on records, I thought that was interesting and cool. And now there's dudes like Alex Tomei, who's really, really yeah, popular. He's, he's not dope. a producer. He doesn't make beats, right? But he's he's very, very popular for being a very good recording and mixing. And I don't think he masters engineer, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I think with the the internet giving access to everything a long time ago, you know, it was very cool to not know anything about your, your favorite artist. You don't want to know where the studio is. You don't want to know mm -hmm. what their last name is. It was the mystery was very much a part of it. And there are some artists that still do that well and successful being very mysterious. But I think at fans, younger fans, they want all access, bro. They want to know. Yeah, <laughs> they I'm want to them. see the camera. Want they want access. to turn the, They want to be in. The, so, so these other background gigs are getting more shy. Yeah, and and you're actually saying the, the the mystery part's funny because one of the artists that I think, who's obviously not a producer even on any side of that, he's a rapper, but his music I think is one of, I think a key reason why the attention to like how a how an album actually sounds from like that mixing perspective is Makami. I think Makami, particularly just the 
like absolutely like flabbergasting weirdness of his way his vocal sound was like one of the most immediate things you hear it's so impossible to avoid and i find like him i think rock marciano too does a lot of really creative stuff and i'm not positive if i know he produces so i'm not positive if he actually does a lot of the mastering or mixing etc but i find that has been a growing shift and i've seen to really pay more attention to how it sounds like from a detail perspective which yeah, i find is super cool it's interesting i yeah i know that with mox music when i first heard it when it was first getting popular hbo I'm sure it started before that. I know it started before that, but mm -hmm. that's kind of when I first heard of it, which how many years ago? That's like four years That was years like 2016. Yeah. yeah, it's like almost four or five years ago. Um, it's hard for me to, I have no connection. I don't know. So I'm just guessing and assuming. It sounded to me like that wasn't intentional. The vocals were just too loud. <laughs> they were like too loud and mixed. And if it was intentional, it was smart, but they were like really loud and in your face and almost distorted. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you were saying before. You can't avoid it. The, the mm -hmm. vocals are right there. Um, and then that that really did start to get popularized. And I think some some artists are using it really well. It's, it's interesting to me, though, like um, when I hear some of the, the stuff that I don't listen to a lot of, but like West Side Gun and stuff like that, sometimes the vocals are blown the fuck out. And blown it sounds dope, out. but that shit is I, th I don't. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I think that's interesting. It's 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 cool. Yeah, so you can hear the difference between a release like that and another release where the vocals never sound like that. They're like, you know, inside the beat or, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. It's funny because like, yeah, I think there was a trend, especially with like cloud rap and kind of the trap records of like the mid to mid to early 2010s. I find the rapper was a lot of times getting drowned in the vocals and that was kind of like a style. But now mm. I've noticed like, yeah, West Side Gun. Mm -hmm. Even this other artist, really dope, um, uh, Blood Blixing, producer in the underground and rapper. Like, literally, because I interviewed him, too. Like, I put, like, you know, I asked you before the show, like, can I put the music behind, uh, I mean, in between the audio, right? And so when you put the the, the MP3 in the garage band where I'm just mixing the, the episode, it's just a brick. There's yeah. no, yeah. there's, it's just straight. <laughs> I'll yeah, blow and it's the even fuck funny out. to hear the word brick, right? So... <clears throat> that's a technical term as well. Like there's brick limiting. Like that's when you look at a waveform, when you're looking at that in GarageBand and stuff like that, if you zoom really far in, maybe you'll start to see the separation. Yeah. And you'll start to see the waveform, right? But what you're trying to avoid as a mixing engineer, as a mastering engineer, really both. It, if you can make it look like a brick, but then when you zoom in, you really don't ever see a flat line going across the top. It's really hard to explain without. No, I get it. Yeah, that's, it's like that's, it doesn't go over that hmm. limit. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah limiting. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Um, sort of an overcorrection for the uh, for the SoundCloud rap not being able to hear them, and then mm -hmm. now we turn them up so much that <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, some other thing you mentioned too about the decisions creatively that go into a project. How how involved is the mixer i guess because the way you described it i'll focus on the mixer here not really the master like the mixer as it relates to how the album is supposed to sound whether it's like super rough like the vocals are super high or super pristine and like clean so basically my question is like do, do you usually as if you're mixing a project typically just get direction from the vocalist or the producer or the beat maker to say hey we want it to sound really gritty and like sound like this or do you have some creative license as like with the cachet of your work to be like, let's see how you want this to sound, like how you think this makes sense and we'll take it from there. 
Yeah, definitely both, bro. Definitely 50, 50%, 100% one way or 100% the other way. Like you're starting with where you're at. So if it's recorded on shitty equipment, then if someone tells you that they want it to sound or not shitty, but like, let you know, less yeah. expensive equipment and someone is like, send you a reference and they're like, here's this Drake track. I want to sound like this. I want my vocals to be buried in the beat loud, but, but da da da. You're like, oh, that can't happen because the microphone wasn't good enough. We'll do the best that we could. But if someone sends you and like, I want it to sound distorted in a rough mix, you're like, great, I'm in that position. Cause the, mm -hmm. so, all right. So that's, that's the, where you're starting. Let's just say the equipment is good to answer your question. Like some artists are just going to be like, mix it, send it to me. I'll let you know after you, after the first mix, I'll let you know, A, B, C, or everything's great. Other artists are like, I want to, I want to come. I want to sit right behind you and direct, turn that up, turn that down, pan nice. that to the left. That happens less and less as you get a little more popularity and experience on both ends. Right. So me as a mixer, if I keep gaining trust from these artists, they're probably not, they're not going to come over and sit there and direct me. And even as they gain experience as artists, they know that let me just do this. Let me just let this person do their thing. I'm going to know what to say once I get, they, they develop the terminology and, and mm -hmm. the way to go back and forth. So that, that kind of grows from there, but there are still artists who are very, very hands-on with their mixes, whether it be in the room or just through email back and forth through mixes yeah. through email. Um, someone like someone like woods or someone who I work with someone who's not just a client, but also like a collaborator and a friend mm -hmm. often like some stuff will happen right during the recording process. So, uh, cause you're after the recording process, you're going to send a demo, right? You're going to take mm -hmm. the raw files, but you're also going to send, you're going to make a demo. You're going to be like, this is what, so the demo can be really rough, do nothing. Just put the demo out. So I know what the song should sound like, where the vocal should go, what it sounds like. But uh, also before you leave, you can kind of just like come over and be like, let's do a little bit of mixing for the demo. So we know mm -hmm. whoever we play the demo for or whoever the mixing engineer is going to be, they know sh how it should sound because we did a little bit of mixing, just rough mixing, like make sure the doubles are at this volume, make sure this, delete that particular double. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of decisions that can be made on the spot during recording. And then there's a lot of decisions that can just be made back and forth after mix number one, mix number two, mix number 45, <laughs> mix number, yeah. you know, like um, it is rare, less and less do I have people in the studio with me sitting while I mix unless it's right after the recording. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No, that's great. And then there's that's clients. Really there's clients who reach out to me who I don't know, who who have seen my work, are interested, seen the work I do for people, and are like, let me ask this guy his rates and see what he... And then that's someone who I've never met. That that obviously is more like, here's a demo. Do They're reaching out to me because they're wondering what I'm going to do. So that's a total like blank slate. They're like, here are the files. Send me the first version, you know? That's really cool. That's really cool. I like I like how it varies. I feel like that's pretty fun too. Like in your position, mm -hmm. to kind of work with all of them and and uh, guide the vision too when you can. Uh, who your people? Who you favor? Where y'all from now? Where you wake up? Or where you wake up? Brush them out before you say some. I'm a first son. I came to take some. Can't play it straight. Come taste the seed. Play crumbs. I waited in the weeds. Thorns pricking my thumbs. Tucked in the slum, turning colds. I float the block past. So, you know, as evidenced by this instrumental album that you put out earlier this year, which we will get to uh, later in this conversation, it's clear that you really love the minutia and the detail 
in the musical process. So how did this passion for music, this deep passion actually begin? And did you originally make beats only and then grow into the kind of the post-production work? Yeah. So the passion began, I mean, I always loved music. I still remember my first few CDs, you know, I was like, you know, there's people who are like music fans and then people who are not, you know what I mean? People who love music and listen to whatever they, you know, they know songs, but they're not Mm -hmm. music fans. They don't actually, um, so I was a music fan from early on or whatever, but when it became an obsession or whatever, I remember I was in college and someone gave me a Victor Vaughn, someone gave me Victor Vaughn's first CD. Um, and I was like, what the fuck is this? I, I was a huge rap fan, huge music fan, loved everything I heard, but had never been given underground stuff. I'd never been given. This was before, uh, this was like either before or at the very beginning of, I'm 38 years old, bro. So this was really early on, like LimeWire, Kazaa, like even before. So someone gave me a Victor Vaughn CD and I was like, holy shit, this is, what is this? And then I just went hard after that. I, I, I wish I remembered more details, but it was so long ago. But I remember mm-hmm. what, what I, who, like, I can't even remember who gave it to me and what did I get next? You know what I mean? But I know generally it was the deaf joke shit and the yeah. rhyme sayer shit, all that shit that, um, and just became obsessed. And then in that same circle of friends, a few of my friends were like, yo, I want to, I want to, I want to rap. I want to record songs. I want to be a rapper. I want to be a singer. And you know, they were like, do you want to do that? And I was like, no, I have no, that's not in me. I have no desire to write lyrics or be a, but that sounds really cool to me. Let me buy, I'm going to go buy the computer. I'm going to, I'm going to record you guys. That's all I knew. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to, you need someone to record it. I'm going to figure that out. And so I just went and got garage band. So it kind of both at once kind of both being the, okay. the engineer and making the beats like, cause they didn't have anybody to make beats. So we were just taking the beats, whatever locks beats and putting them in garage band and they would rap yeah. over them. But they were like, couldn't you, Joe, couldn't you do yeah. like makeup drums? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And slowly but surely I just tried to start learning how to flip a sample and, and do that mm-hmm. stuff. But um, yeah, you know, it's funny. The, they gave me the, I got a Victor Vaughn CD. I became obsessive. The dudes who wanted to start recording and stuff, someone had given us a POS CD. Oh, nice. and even though we had already been listening to a lot of stuff, I had two particular friends who heard POS and were like, I want to rap, like, I want to do this. And that was kind of the, the synthesis of that. But yeah. I don't know if I answered all the questions. No, you did. You did. Uh, um, one of the things that um, when I'm researching kind of like how you came up, one of the early collaborations, at least I can tell from some of the press you got early on that started to, I think, really like improve your buzz in the community was working with Big Baby Gandhi, Lakutis, Heems oh, yeah. back in like the early 2010s. Yeah. And it's funny because I actually didn't know of you then, but I did hear their work, particular Heems. I really liked yeah. uh, Nehru Jackets, mm-hmm. but then I know Wildwater Kingdom that you worked on. Uh, how did that, like, how did you link up with them? And like, how did Twitter. it work, feel like we're Twitter? Okay. Seriously, every dime I've made from music has, uh, I can't, I guess I can't say that anymore. About six, seven years ago, almost every dollar I ever made from music was through Twitter and just, Damn. so yeah, Twitter, um, man was a huge fan of Das Racist, just an outsider was making beats and stuff in Brooklyn. And I was like, wow, those guys are cool. I really like what they're doing. It's really interesting. Had already been a fan of the Def Jook stuff and all the other stuff. Um, was a big fan of Modern Shark, which is a label that kind of came and went. There's a group that didn't kind of come and go. That sounds dismissive. They were fucking awesome. Have you heard of Junk Science or? Um, 
these are kind of familiar, but I actually know. Yeah, Cool Compete was on that label, which is great. Oh, I like Cool oh, yeah. Compete. Yeah, nobody I like yeah. that lost cool album. Is a I fucking think, legend, yeah. bro. Yeah. But uh, all right, so yeah, and I can't remember the exact details, but I think I just straight up reached out to Gandhi or Heems on Twitter because Gandhi was like, I need a place to record more. He had already finished Big Fucking Baby. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was just like, come through, I have a spot. And either Heems was like, yo, this guy says he has a spot, go through. Or Gandhi himself was like, hey, can I really come through? They were just checking it out. And after the first time Gandhi came through, we recorded stuff, which eventually ended up for like no one to look up to, I think. Yeah. And then he just kept coming by. And then eventually I met I met um, Victor after that, Kool D. He came by the first night. They played Conan. <laughs> he came from Conan to my apartment. Was, Damn. You know, we, were, we were just on Conan. I was like, what? That's crazy. Um, and then it all just grew from there. I mean, those are, you know, uh, yeah, really early on. That was the first bit of legit buzz. Uh, mm-hmm. I also worked with this artist, um, YC the Cynic, who eventually changed his name to Kemba. I really like that guy. He's yeah. phenomenal. He had a lot of buzz. And, and I, 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 through Twitter, you ended up working with him a little bit so that helped too but yeah that was really the synthesis of a lot of stuff that's really cool and and uh and lacutus yeah yeah lacutus too uh this home studio of yours really seems to be as you're just describing it right now like that was the impetus to work with gandhi he needed a spot to record you got that so it seems like it was clearly a, a foundational piece in your career to make connections spawn collaboration build your reputation all of that great stuff so like, how do you think your career would have gone had you decided to just have a studio that was just for yourself and no, just I, kept it to there, yourself? It, so obviously, I'm, 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 I have a want to say, like, it wouldn't have went anywhere. But I don't know. Maybe something would have happened. But yes, having a place is incredibly lucky. Like, I, it's re- I got really lucky with my apartment. <clears throat> like, the, it, it's, it's crazy lucky. Yeah. And like... I'm I'm a little less clear on this. Like, was this pretty unique back in 2010, 2012? Because I know nowadays, like having a home studio, even if you have a small studio apartment, uh, is is more common now. It's a lot easier to get the equipment. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more cost effective. But were you kind of unique in that sense uh, back in 20, 2010, 2012, 2013? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because I mean, the only other place those people, were, those guys were recording was a professional studio in Numba you know, oh, shit. Um, I will, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'll be a little cocky here. You have to know how to make, cause I didn't have amazing equipment. So it's not impressive, especially back then when you walk in, it's not like visually impressive or whatever, mm-hmm. but the crux is if you go home as the artist and you go home thinking like, man, that was just a home studio probably doesn't sound that great. But then when you get the files, if they fucking sound good, that's all that matters. If you mm-hmm. can make it sound like they recorded in whatever place, if it sounds good, that is so you can do a lot with with just a home studio. But I did get really lucky to have a whole uh, extra room in my, you know, a bedroom producer or whatever. That, that that term is typically used a little literally. I mean, like they sleep and produce in, in the in the same room, mm-hmm. which is often why there's not a lot of artists coming by to record music. That's their home studio. They're just yeah. Uh, I had a separate room dedicated to it, so it was easier to set that vibe. Let somebody come through for a few hours, really have the good studio vibe. I mean, like I, I for a long time I don't like using the word studio even because 
really it, i don't have a mixing board you know i don't have mm-hmm. like a huge mixing board i have equipment here there whatever i use it um i've learned to just be able to use it or whatever but visually if someone walks into this room it's a, an apartment mm-hmm. with recording equipment in it you see what i'm saying yeah. so, so yeah. uh it felt a little false advertising me to be like come to the music studio <laughs> well no come to the you know uh but to answer your question, I think if you as a young person or whatever, if there's any chance, because I got the reason I used Lucky is because even financially, we pay really low rent for what this apartment should be worth because of how much space is in it. Yeah. I don't have a roommate anymore. Rent- Originally, I had a roommate and we still had enough room for a studio. <laughs> like, so you, that can just go to show you like we got really lucky with the size versus how much we were paying. What I was going to say is. If you can do that, if you can have a space that's got a good enough vibe for people to come over for a few hours and not feel like they're on your bed, lean into that because that got me so much that that really led to so much. Not even trying to belittle my skills, but just having the space was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if the alternative is just paying crazy amounts of money to go to a like a professional big ass studio that's probably overkill for a lot of these artists when they just right they just need something that's quality they don't need all the bells and whistles yeah and 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 another benefit to a place like mine is that it's my home you can smoke here use the you know shower if you needed to i got the like it's a if you're in a professional studio unless they're your friends or you've been working there for years it's going to feel a little more uptight right you got to keep it clean you got to do whatever you need to do this is like we're friends we break bread like it's 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 i got really lucky with this space yeah that's awesome. And let's get into quickly your name. Cause that's, I know your real name still tip dove seems to have no significance from like a, a little quick artist, uh, artist name that you create. Where did steel tip dove come from? It's a rap lyric from a rapper. Uh, it is, um, there's a collective Minnesota we mentioned before doom tree. And oh, I like doom like, tree. Yeah. Yeah. They've kind of like suffered. I've had some, you know, a few of their members POS there's been some, some, pretty clear controversy and they've kind of yeah. like faded away and yeah, that's unfortunate. That. I, I've never known any of them personally. Uh, I can't really speak to it. Um, but way back in the day, there was an artist on that record label still is, I guess if they exist called Sims. Yeah. Uh, and he's got a song and in that song, uh, something, something, something. And he says, looking for my steel tip dove. And I think he, I think he's actually referring to a woman that he like misses or, or if I remember mm. correctly, the, the song's about a relationship. And I don't know. I mean, like the, the turning a phrase in the in the lyric, I was a big fan of his and still am. And then, man, I, I wish I could remember what made me think to use that for my name. But I just that's what I used for my name. I just thought it was a cool image or whatever. Um, that's that's where it came from. You know, years later, a few years ago, actually, that Lacutus video um jesus piece came out and i produced mm-hmm. the track for that yeah and sim saw it and liked it and uh <clears throat> so i eventually i got to meet him at one of his shows so i eventually got to tell him bro like you see my name right like i took that from you and he's like yeah that's dope like he gave me the blessing you know he's like it's cool yeah that's weird cool whatever <laughs> i was glad i eventually got to see him and and tell i i stole that from you i took that from you you know it's not a you know um, it's not like taking someone's name and yeah, it's yeah. just a lyric. You know? <laughs> so yeah, I don't think he minded that much, but um, yeah, that's where it came from. It's a cool ass name. It's definitely yeah, when I cool first started name. making beats, uh, it was just J fuse because my name, Joseph Fusero. Yeah. And I will tell you, 
I, I have, I truly wish that this whole time I had just kept my name. I wish all these beats, all these records that you see, I, I kind of wish they were just Joseph Sarah. Why? You don't like uh, the no, recognition? No, no. Just, I just think that that would be really cool if the, all these records were just my name. I don't know. It's just something I think about a lot. I, I, yeah, I've thought about changing my name a lot. Like I don't love it, love it, but it's, it means something now and people have attachments to it, myself included, obviously. So I would say that, uh, cause you know, you mentioned, uh, Ali mixed by Ali. Yeah. There's other, I think guru, right? Like he's like a classic with Jay. Yeah. I would say that your name though is very like dope to mention in the song. I'll just say that like, cause I know woods i think i was listening to a song earlier where he says he says dove like he mentions your like that's a cool name like j fuse no offense like it's not it's not like so easy say, yeah you yeah. say fuse like i'm in the stew with fuse there's like, there's a million fuses and there's also multiple j fuses as well that's why i kind of wish oh, it was okay. just of fusero but don't get me wrong like it is cool like it is cool it, it is cool like i fuck with it but sometimes mm-hmm. i'm just like plus the acronym sucks std like, cause you want to be able to use like an acronym, but forever, even, even like, I'm sure like two days after I came up with it, I must've been like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> or even that day. Like, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it's cool. I fuck with it. Okay. Let's get into one of the particular connections you made, which has, I feel benefited the rap community as a whole. And that is your relationship with Backwoods Studios. So how did Backwoods or any of the artists within it first come on your radar and how did that relationship begin? All right. So a long, long time ago, um, Don will is the one who invited them over, but how did I meet Don will? Do you know Don will sort of phenomenal rapper, uh, DJ from Brooklyn. He was part of a group called Tanya Morgan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. I know. Yeah. Tanya. Um, Yeah. Good album this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, I love this dude, Don will. He was recording a podcast actually. And this is, so this is, we can look on the projects. I have a screen over here. I don't know. I'd have to look, but either race music or are you familiar with all their albums, Arm and yeah. Hammer? So either race music or what was the other one? Right. Half measures, that? half measures, half I measures. I, have, I actually looked at that. It dropped a month before. Okay. So I have tracks on both, I believe. Yeah. You got Duppy and then you got Duppy reprise and then something else. Uh, furtive movements. Yeah, you're on you're on all of them. I think Half Measures you're on song with Curly Half Castro. Measures is the name of the song. I think the project is Furtive Movements. No, those are two out those are two projects. Damn. Furtive anyway. Movements came later after Race Music. But yeah, you're on a track with Curly. Yeah, and that's someone the else. Reprise. Yeah, yeah. They drop really close together. Mozambique yeah. Drill. I have a track yeah. called Mozambique Drill. That's the one. That's the anyway, one. so the, so so basically Don Will invited them over. They he invited chat uh elucid and woods over uh to record the i wasn't involved in the podcast i was just engineering it i was recording it to give them the files and that was the we had a lot of mutual friends and i had maybe ran into elucid at a show here and there and i think i was tweeting with elucid kind of talking a little bit we have we have a lot of mutual friends prem rock that whole circle Mm -hmm. and but that was the first time we had sat in a room together and uh it's funny because Woods and I debate this sometimes, but I'm, I'm 99% positive. That was literally the first time we met in person. But on that day, after the podcast recording, they were like, you got beats, you make beats. So I played them some beats. And that day, Woods took the beat for Duppy um, and the beat for, he wor- worked on a solo project as well. Um, today, I wrote nothing. Yeah. So I have a track on that. I think he even recorded that night 
some vocals or something. But so if you look at the, the dates on those, you know, the dates of the releases, like either a few months before that is when we met. And then for several years, we kind of like we're off doing our own thing. Um, they did Rome, right? And mm-hmm. he did uh album with Blockhead. Uh, yeah. And then kind of when it all came back together and started the consistent relationship was... Uh, High in places? Yeah. So Rory um, Milo at the time, Rap Frere, I can't remember exactly when he changed his name, had a uh, record shop in Maine and he was doing an opening of the shop in Maine. And I went, I went, I drove up and uh, Arm & Hammer was there or whatever. And it just turned out, we hung out a lot there. I drove back with Woods and he was like, I'm working on this project. I need to come record there. He had met Kenny Siegel. And then nice. that was that. So whenever um, Soul Folks Records opened, that was the start of the consistent Woods recording here. And then kind of like that, it just nice. developed from there. So that's how, Woods, that's how Woods met Kenny Siegel. Because I know Kenny Siegel worked a ton with, with Ferreira. They dropped uh, that uh, I have Fly, to assume, Don't Come. Yeah, I have to assume. That's really met, cool. That's really yeah, cool. Through, through that connection. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Woods already knew Kenny. But I discovered Kenny through, through Rap Ferreira. And I think Woods did as well. I think it kind of all happened right at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, so... You know, ever since working with Backwoods in 2013, and then I guess restarting that like uh, relationship in more full, fulsome way in 2019, what is it about the artistry of the Backwoods camp that inspires you and energizes you to join the label and like keep building with them as you're on so many of the records now? Man, they they they're experimental. That's it. One word. I. I I fuck with all music. I love pop music. I love the most, I, I don't even call them guilty pleasures, but I love some of the quote unquote shittiest music you can imagine mm-hmm. in some people's opinions, you know, like just as an easy example, like I love Drake's music, but the reason I love it is specifically listening to it and being like, Oh, this is why it's so popular. This is so dialed. This part so dialed in perfectly this part. Um, I'm not as a big a fan of it as a, someone who makes music or someone who's looking at it for something interesting, but I am a big fan of it for what it is. Um, but then when I'm making stuff and I'm also seeking stuff that I want to be like blown away by and challenged by backwoods is experimental. They, they don't, you know, they, they he, <laughs> I think that I don't even know what else to say. The reason I'm attracted to it is because they make dope experimental shit. They're willing to take, do weird shit and cool shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think they push the envelope. And I think they just put on like, I feel I just really like because I, I would imagine as like a part of the group, like not just from like a listener like me, I like the way they do business too. like that's something like that. I don't know if gets talked about as much. I just always find there's a certain care that all the artists like I don't find there's any uh, I'm not going to name names. There's big art, big labels that you can just there's always like two artists where they just got no press, no marketing push was behind behind them and they just got like thrown out after and they just got disposed of like they just signed them for clout and then just ditched them like it seems like the crew over there really does work and does shit. and then the, all the artists are always of a, a backwards release is like a imprint it's like a it's like a stamp of approval immediately kind of like willie green is like a stamp of and now i think you for sure like a stamp of like this is going to sound great like even um mantis uh mantis miasma like i know you you uh you, I think you engineered his project. That I mix, I mixed, mixed his project. We didn't record. I, I haven't met, but yeah, great guy. Uh, 
yeah and that sounded incredible and i already knew it would like that's what i mean it's a it's a label it's a it's a stamp of approval that you just can come expect quality yeah them the business aspect of it man i mean it should be easy um you would it's you know and they make it look easy because because it should be and 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 woods and his business partner are just smart and and do the don't play games like it's easy like look you make dope shit we make dope shit if you want to put this out here's how we're gonna do it we're gonna promote it you're gonna i don't know i i mean yeah the the label stuff major label stuff i don't have a lot of friends or close personal people who have had direct connections with major label stuff but i it's so consistent hearing you know you hear the nightmare stories but even Mm -hmm. the littler stuff the stuff where that you're describing where it's like yeah they universal music group will sign an artist you know they'll play coachella or something like that be really buzzing really popular and it's like yeah but are they going to play coachella the next year you know like unless they sell this many more their major record label is they look at them as a business it's mm-hmm. or as a number um but yeah man backwoods is really excited to see what 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 they do in the future like they they really it's it they really put a lot of heart and effort into it but it comes easy to them because it should be easy they're just fans of good music of experimental mm-hmm. music and you know it's, yeah Okay, I want to transition to some of your particular projects that you've released this year. So starting with this unbelievably creative instrumental album, Inside Outside, Inside Outside, that you put out, I think, in January of 2021. But there's so much more to this project than just calling it an instrumental album. So I don't want to I don't want to not do it justice. So could you expand on what the vision was and the unique structure in particular uh, for this album? Sure, sure. Uh middle of the pandemic or even like early on in the pandemic or whatever i'm just like i need to find something else i i um have released so much music and done so much music this started before the inside outside thing but when i was releasing instrumental tapes b tapes i even did a patreon where i did one a month for a whole Mm -hmm. year i'm doing that again this year uh i started to be like i started to need another need a reason to put out an instrumental tape but like a a little bit of a bigger one not just a clever name or whatever i i was always they're not even available on my Bandcamp page anymore i can send them to you but i've always had like funny names or whatever but anyway fast forward i needed Mm -hmm. a clever reason so a long time ago i did an album where i made paintings on canvases i'm not a painter i've never painted before in my life but i was like i need some other reason so i bought a bunch of tiny canvases fucking painted some colors on them uh, tried to do shapes they were cool people fucked with them i was like this is my album these paintings are my album and i sold the paintings and if you bought a painting you got a digital download of the album and then eventually you could just get the album as well but i loved the music i loved the album i put effort into that but to release it i wanted something extra so i did that a couple like a year later i did watercolings nobody bought them they were all <laughs> the paintings were actually cool watercolors are hard as fuck Fuck that. Um, After that, I did tapes, cassette tapes. I had never done that before, but I hand painted cassette tapes. I Mm -hmm. didn't I didn't put any art on them. 
So eventually, fast forward, fast forward. Uh, during the pandemic, I was like, I want to learn how to write. I had a Squarespace website. I was like, I wonder, I want to learn how to write code, HTML code, and maybe even mm-hmm. more than that, right? Because uh, I think that that's cool and I want something to do and maybe it could turn into something. I had a, I have a good friend who's a high level coder and he's like, you always, he's a music fan. He's like, you should try coding. The brains for people who make beats and people who code, there's like overlap there. You Very technical, it. yeah. 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 Um, and actually coding, I learned is a lot of sampling, bro. So here's, so how do I do this? You Google how to do it. Somebody writes the code, you copy and paste that code. Nice. Now you've done that on your website. You could change the color. You can change the height or the length or whatever. You could tweak it, but you sampled the code. So it was really That's funny to me to learn that a lot, ton of coding is sampling, straight up copy paste. Um, cool. So I was like, I got this music. I want to make a website. Now I can't remember. I should go back what came first because the music has its own concept as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that may have come first, but I wanted to make, so I'll, so I'll switch and talk about that. The music is four 20 minute pieces of um, music that should be, that was in my mind dedicated to sound like inside, inside during the day, outside during the day, inside during the night, outside during the mm-hmm. night. So I used Foley sound beds, recorded out my window, got clips from online of audio from inside a building during the day, outside during the day. Put that audio low volume across an 80 minute track, blended instrumentals in and out. Oh my God, we're gonna run out of time how much, cause I forgot the other element of this. The other element of this music is that um to make the beats themselves there was this program called uh stems app yeah I think. yeah and it'll separate the stems for you so the stems of a track are let's say you have bass drums vocals in a song you hear them all together if you the stems are just the vocal track just the bass track alone just the, so most people as non-music people an acapella is a stem track right yeah but they don't think about that the drums are also one stem even the snare itself by itself is just one stem yeah just the you know hi-hat is so this program did that for you quote unquote took any song any mp3 you put into it and it'll separate the stems for you does a terrible job because mm-hmm. you're not really supposed to be able to do that um whatever it does a halfway decent job um, but I really liked the weird results that I was getting. So I re-put back together these beats using the stems from the stems app. And often I would try to use different sounds from different songs. So two songs I would get the drums from, but I would use the drums from song A with the guitar from song B. Oh, so that, okay, I see. But then, yeah. but then often I would also just use the like a remix would. Use the stems, but do something different with them, but not use different songs man, I'm going on and on. So yeah, that's how the music was created with that stem stuff. Um, I laid it over top of the sound, the inside outside yeah. sound. And then I wrote the actual HTML code for the website for how to listen to the album. It's like a kind of choose your own adventure mm-hmm. website. You go to the main page and you can click and pick whether you're inside or outside. Once you choose one of those, you pick whether it's daytime or nighttime. And then the, the correct music starts to play. Yeah, that Very was a, weird, bro. No, it was super weird, but I found it so damn creative. Like I was like, you found 
you really did find a, a way to create music and release it. I've never, literally never heard before. So that's, that's hard to do. In and it was, it was, you know, it was titled inside, outside, inside, outside, because of what was going, that was right in the heart of the pandemic. It was like, Jesus Christ, I'm inside so much outside. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It was just a lot of thought about being inside, being outside. Yeah. Time of day. Um, there's weird themes that run through my music that I only I seem to be conscious of in remembering them. Like they happen without me being conscious of them. Cause like I also released, I don't know, a year or two before that, an album called um, De Una Una Nocte, which I think is Jesus Christ. I could, uh, I can't even remember what that translates to now. That's so ridiculous that I can't remember my own shit. I, I make too much shit, but each song was an hour of the day. So a song to represent 10 a.m., a song to okay. represent 11 a.m., 12 p.m., you know what I mean, and so on and so on. Um, and that was a music to represent a 24-hour period. Yeah. Like the, the track at 1 a.m. sounds like this because it's supposed to be played at 1 a.m. That's what 1 a.m. sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. So there's this weird theme that keeps running through a lot of my music that it has to do with, like, time and space. Like, yeah. time a day, inside, outside. Like, it's weird that that kind of just happens no that's really interesting i feel like if i ever like if i honestly if i feel like if i ever made music like particularly made beats i would always like make my albums like that like you're kind of similar to me like i would do shit like that and maybe that i would only i may not even communicate it to others but it'd be this little little yeah. uh what do you easter egg for myself be like that's why but there's always that's really cool yeah there's always a why like for sure but then you when you're presenting something you get to choose a narrative of the mm -hmm. presentation so you either lean into the why like why did you do it like this or you just put it out as as a and then like keep it as an easter egg but yeah i seem to have this need to have a reason to lean into putting this release out there's got to be some intention mm -hmm. um, okay that's yeah. dope that's dope. That was really thank you for that explanation because that it, it really really justified it. Uh, all right, let's get into the conception of this latest studio release. Call me when you're outside. So, could you walk us through the overall like creative approach for the album and particularly that relevance of the title? Uh, man, the the title. When I get to that, it'll be really funny because, um, so it started with the song Kingston. We recorded that song during uh, terror management sessions and it yeah. didn't make it onto that album, but Woods really loved that song. I really love that song. Um, and we put it out. So I released it on my band camp. I don't even think, did you know that, that it had been out? Uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. So some people yeah. didn't know because it did come out. It, it had some special artwork attached to it. Um, Myra Musgrove drew this uh, wolf mother thing mm -hmm. and we released the track. It was great. People like it, but it didn't get a ton of attention. It wasn't an official release and it was only on my band camp. Um, but he loved the song and I love the song and uh, just kind of slowly over time, we were working on other projects and I, I actually have this other project that I kind of finished that was going to come out on backwards. And he was like, I like this project. I want to put it out. So I'm not even going to talk about it because it's still, it got, it got usurped by this other one. And, and mm -hmm. cause Kingston didn't fit onto that project. But we had always kind of talked about putting Kingston out. He's like, we just put this out as a single, vinyl, you know, a 12 inch vinyl single or something like that. We really like it. Try to, I'll try to speed this up a little bit. But Woods eventually just started to be like, well, you have other songs. You seem to have these other songs, these other singles that are out there that don't have a home. Don't you ever think about doing like a comp album, producer's comp album? 
compilation album and he that's why he's executive producer he kind of just pieced started to piece this together i was like look at this shirt song because that shirt song pirouette that was already released shirt released that on his own mm -hmm. um and the fat tony and fielded song and pink sifu song that was already released the vinyl only and then eventually tony put it on his band camp um so woods kind of just like conceived this idea and he's like we'll just make a couple other songs and get this fucking going so we did and it, it kind of like it started with kingston and then him being in the studio so often with me working on his stuff, working on my stuff. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it came together. And then we just did those other songs. I think the last thing I did was the Fat Boy Sharif song. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it came together. And honestly, we were throwing titles back and forth and uh, Woods Woods titled it. And he kind of just did it flippantly as well, which he's he's a very great writer, very, mm -hmm. you know, uh, call me when you're outside or something like that. And he was just leaving when he said it. And I was like, yeah, because that is if you if you're an artist or a friend or whoever, someone who comes to my apartment, you've gotten that text from me. I don't have a buzzer that works. Mm -hmm. So pretty much everyone I know has gotten the exact same call me when you're outside text from me. So it was kind of it was, it was pretty solid title That's genius though yeah, yeah. yeah especially because well, it's to... in the spirit of collaboration which is yep. your studio like it, it fits so you're t so you're making it so you're explaining that some of the record was previous uh singles and stuff that it came up, but yeah. then some were actually recorded for this album like the sharif yeah. record okay the sharif record um the nft record with the creatine oddity the elucid track the buddy ryan track those were all had not been released uh and had been recorded for this uh the nft track adult swim yeah. tapped woods to do a single and you know last year i think they asked more mother to do a single and more mother asked woods to be on it and they asked green willie green to produce it mm -hmm. this year they asked woods to do a single woods asked the koreatown oddity to be yeah. on it and he asked me to produce it so we used that as a jump off point for this project we had already been working on and developing this album mm -hmm. when the adult swim thing happened so woods and i were just more so his idea he was like let's use this when this comes out since we'll make a, this a track on your project <laughs> and when it comes out we'll use that as a jump off point to start promoting the project mm -hmm. so that was incredible i i loved being on adult swim that was that was really cool yeah yeah they always have some dope singles and it's a big good look too and all that You know that the NFT song is, yeah, could be one of my favorites, if not my favorite on the album, and it's cool. particularly because of the the atmosphere from the instrumental. I mean, the the verses from everybody on this album is like obviously top notch, as you'd expect. But the way I feel on this whole project, the the way space is used seems super deliberate. There's like this consistent feeling throughout the album where even when the beats are still like have a variety there's like this vastness to the atmosphere that I just find is so captivating. NFT, like I think I even tweeted, it's like, it's literally like you're traveling through space. It's insane. Like I love, I love what you did with that. So I find it particularly interesting because as we talked about it, some of the songs were already uh, released or as singles as standalone uh, pieces of work previously, but how would you describe the sound you were aiming to create on this album? Uh, 
shit, man. I don't know, like atmospheric, I guess, in a way. Or, you know, I struggle with um, I struggle with that, creating enough space for a vocalist. Right. Because uh, often some of the best rap beats in the world are sparse Mm -hmm. because you want to. You're also listening to the record for the rapper as well. Not just you might love the beat, of course, whatever, but you're there for two reasons. And I struggle with that as a producer. I make hundreds of beats and often my shit will have 30 sounds in it. So, but sometimes they won't. Sometimes I'll be lucky or make a beat that has enough space. And I think that one had a lot of time or a lot of space in it. And it was funny too, because as that song came together, Woods was like, yo, I want to get Kreatown on a track. Send him some beats. Let's let him pick the beat. He's the one that picked that beat. And Woods was like, ah, I wouldn't have picked this beat. Uh, whatever. Really? He, can, he, didn't, he didn't dislike it, but it wasn't yeah. something he would have picked. And then he killed it anyway, of course. But like uh, that beat's really weird. It's got a lot of really weird timing. And I wanted someone to pick that beat. I had that beat for a long time and it's off kilter. It's yeah. very weird, the timing. Um, and then he, And then when he sent the verse back, again, we already talked about this. He talked about time in the song. I mean, yeah. uh, the, it wasn't titled the, the 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 song didn't have a name um and he sent his verse back and but then he rapped about he didn't rap about nfts he just made the joke about give me an nft of time yeah because that is nfts are fascinating to me the term non-fungible token is not um born out of this nft stuff it's it's actually a, a term from it's a finance term from mm-hmm. forever ago it means you uh you can't change it right but that is bullshit of almost everything in the entire world. You can yeah. change almost anything. Virtually, there's so many things that can be changed, even when people say they can't. Time is not one of them. Yeah, <laughs> You cannot. That is one of the truly only non-changeable things in the whole world. Money, people, you can't change money. You can't make a do- Well, I know you can't, but you could. Could you like, rip it yeah. the fucking half. It's yeah. not a dollar anymore. I changed it. You know, like Inflation I literally and stuff like that. Legally, you know? not yeah. even what it was five minutes ago. So mm-hmm. don't tell me I can't change it if I rip it into four pieces. You know, like you can't rip time into four pieces. You can't actually change that. Um, so I thought that was a really. And then I got off on a tangent. What were we talking about? You were talking about the overall sound of the album, shit, yeah. man. Uh, I'm hard. I'm it's, it's a harder question. Cause there's only the, the fat Tony, the don't move track. That's the only one that stands out sonically a little bit differently. It's got a little mm-hmm. bit of a less industrial, less creepy, less atmospheric vibe. Well, it's got a lot of atmosphere, but less dark than the rest yeah. of the tracks. Um, but kudos to woods, man. I mean, he curated it. He helped me put the, he sequenced it and picked the, which tracks out and stuff like that. So, yeah. No, no, that's interesting. I definitely, the sound, the atmosphere, is what I would what I would guess because I also liked how you like there's industrial elements but there's a lot of like jazz like I loved the think it's on Kingston where there's like a, a nice like saxophone in the background and that's again where it's like it's like in the distance it's not like yep. in your face that's what I very consistent thing so I love that um so given the fact that there's obviously collaborations with all these MCs and some singers too what aspects in an MC or a singer, do you really look for that singles to you that, okay, this person would be a good fit for my production? Experimentation. Okay. You know what I mean? Like if uh, I can be sucked in by anything, like if I get sucked in by just like a very normal standard 
good rap song. All right, cool. I'm going to go to the project. If every song is like, oh, this is uh, the same, you know, this is another really good, but just verse, regular hook, verse, hook. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not even trying to say that that's bad, but if if they are one note, I'm probably not really going to be that interested. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, weirdness and experimentation is what really makes me want to work with an artist if I have the chance. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. That seems to be the same reason why you're attracted to Backwoods generally. Yeah, experimental music, man. I'm interested in experimental music. Yeah. Okay. um, One of the things I really like, and this is also going back to Backwoods, I don't know who does it. It I have a sneaking suspicion it's Woods himself, but the write-ups for these records are always just like fucking amazing. I'm just like, damn, that's, I'm so, like even Brass, I was obviously going to listen to the album, but I remember that one. I was just like, damn, this sounds incredible. Like this sounds better than I could have imagined. And then it obviously was, but um, with your write-up for Call Me When You're Outside, there's one particular part I wanted to key on because I found it pretty interesting. It says, in some ways, it's surprising that for all artists Dove has worked with, he has never put out a project like this. But if you know Joe, it's really not. He has always been comfortable playing in the background and contributing in whatever way he could. For him, it's always been about the music. So I find this really illuminating to your nature as a creator. So like, why is it that you are so comfortable being in the background versus grabbing the spotlight and the acclaim? And then simultaneously, why did you feel like this was the right time to put out an album like Call Me When You're Outside? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't have a, an actual tangible answer, but that's just, uh, besides like, that's just what I like. I like being in the background more, you know, like not a performer. I don't really, uh, enjoy being on stage that much. I will and do not very often, but I like to DJ for an artist, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I don't do beat sets. I don't enjoy being on stage. You don't see a lot of pictures of me. Um, it's just not something I've ever had the personality for. I just really enjoy, I'm obsessed with music. So I really enjoy getting to be in the process of making it. You know what I mean? As a huge fan, I'm a bigger fan than I am a participant. You know, like mm-hmm. the only reason I'm a participant is because I'm such a big fan. So like, um, yeah, that that's, it's a, it's a personality trait. I, I'm not, I'm just not a performer. I don't really, not a performer. <laughs> what what changed it to at least make this like producer comp album like you're like you know i'll get this you know it's funny because I've, I've, I've done comp albums before my first big uh i put out a mixtape have you ever seen my mixtape and a bunch of crazy motherfuckers i listened to some of that last uh this past week yeah because there's the name too you the said about your crazy li- names yeah but the track list on that is insane look at the yeah. people on that album it's insane yeah it's dope it's really <clears> dope but this is definitely my debut like this and on label vinyl for sure. Vinyl for sure is a huge. Yeah. Uh, I did a lathe cut with you don't deserve this beautiful art. That was my first technical vinyl, but lathe is not vinyl. It's, it's a little different. Um, Man, just the, the, the push from woods and the fact that he had the resource, like the label and stuff there, there have been other labels that I've talked to, but I've never pushed and eventually i was going to i mean eventually i was going to i had that other project that i we could talk offline about it but i have a project Mm -hmm. that's like um was i was like i said backwoods was getting ready to put that out he was when i presented it to him he was like oh yeah 
you know, let's do this. And then this other thing, uh, he's like, well, this might be even bigger. Let's do this first. Cause the project, the unnamed project that I'm talking about is, is bigger in scope. So okay. this one. So like I was getting ready to make the move anyway. And the personal connection since, you know, 2019 and watching backwards grow or whatever, is just kind of obvious, you know, it was, yeah. it was already right there. So it was, it was, you know, kind of an obvious move in a way. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it felt very natural, especially because yep. I know you were like posting those. Uh, now I know what projects for a lot of them you were talking about. I remember you like we're, were in a run of like posting little photos of the people in your studio. Like Prem Rock was there. Sharif was there. And you put yep. like redacted project. I think it was it was this one, right? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, that's that's super dope. It seemed very natural how it came together. So to be yeah, honest, just that. just to be funny, just to that is how it works. But what's funny is those are all photos for the next stuff <laughs> oh, shit. you know what i'm saying like the stuff you see in here is always i mean this project was turned in we had this thing mastered in um august or like even before that you mm. know there's the natural pushback of stuff if you're going to do physical products so it takes a long time now to get those ready to yeah. be released so there's the natural delay in releasing things and then there's the decision to delay stuff because you might want to market stuff or wait mm -hmm. on an adult swim single or something like that. But yeah, it's funny to think about that. I've never really thought about that. How a lot of those people are on this project, but then yeah. <laughs> those are, that's some whole other shit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, damn, I'm excited yeah. for that, for that other project. Uh, so outside of the records that you're the main, like you're the main bill on that, like obviously this record and the, the instrumental project, what was probably if you had to choose like one record, because obviously you're on some fucking monumental records like Haram, Brass, I mentioned, Terror Management, and then so many others that we can't even name. Like what was the most fun or like rewarding album that you were able to take part of and then really can be a key contributor to? I mean, uh, shit, man, I'm trying to think what, what of those. They're all so equal, right? I mean, Shrines too. Uh, mm. um, probably Haram, man. I mean, like, it's got to be Haram just for the obvious reasons. Hate to sound like a cliche or be too obvious, but also fuck it. It's so dope. I mean, look yeah. at that shit. That's some full circle shit right there. Like, you know, I talked to Woods about it. Like, he was a fan of Alchemist. And then when you come back and reach around, like, he reached out to them. Yeah, that's what's like, crazy. It's so crazy. And, and I think Alchemist is one of the smartest, best beat makers, producers ever in the whole game. And he's made a lot of crazy decisions one of the smartest decisions he's ever made reaching out to, to ostensibly the best rap group rapping right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it feels crazy to be working with these dudes. Sometimes it's, it's just a little surreal. Um, but Haram, just the reach of that was really cool. And I, I didn't, you know, I engineered woods vocals on that. Um, I didn't mix Willie green mixed mm -hmm. mastered uh, elucid recorded his vocals elsewhere, but yeah, but being there for it, managing the project, delivering stems to Alchemist, like all that stuff, like just crazy, just crazy that I did that. And also Brass, because Brass is one of those things that people don't even know, bro. Like Brass is insane. And it's one of it's those insane. under the radar projects. And I did a beat. I think I did two beats on that. Yeah, you did. But yeah. I, Algiers, uh, Franklin Fisher, um, if I think I'm saying his name right, lead singer of the band Algiers. Do you know them? Yeah, yeah, that's how I remember. I, I listened to the Call of Culture pod when I think Woods was talking about how he got involved. That's a really crazy because I didn't actually know the guy's name though. 
I Me just neither. Heard, I just yeah. knew the band. Yeah, yeah, same. And I was a huge fan, and they're like they're huge. Uh, that was so crazy, man. And yeah, I got to work really closely on brass. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But yeah, as far as the biggest one, Haram for sure. It's mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Yeah, it's 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 fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. I I don't even I can never pick those two. Are like they came out so close, well, somewhat close in in time, and can never pick which one I like more. But honestly, I, I sometimes I lean to brass. I lean to brass just because I think something with the man. I can't even. I don't know. Well, Actually, I'm gonna take of, that it's, back. It's it varied. Um, they're two totally different things. One is one thing. The other is one thing, but has a lot of different things in it because there's different producers and different collaborations mm-hmm. whereas haram is one singular piece of work so is brass but it's got more you know so yeah. it's really it's hard to compare them even yeah but that that sounds like such a such a fun such a it's like a real bucket list oh, it's kind insane, of moment dude like we were recording them at the same time like i sitting on an alchemist arm and hammer project for months is like jesus christ i cannot <laughs> wait for that. i would have exploded and it, yeah and it's still happening now like some of the stuff we're working on now is just like fucking hey bro <laughs> like, i cannot <laughs> wait for the world to see this shit like it's crazy all right well this has been a super super fun conversation i want to end it with talking about you've already had a busy year but what do you have upcoming in the future uh shit man like i'm working a lot with fat boy sharif on a project which i love is that. really really cool he's such a nice guy and really awesome um working closely with uh shrapnel on some stuff um if you're not familiar with that i know you are, oh yeah if people aren't familiar Super with them check them out that's prem rock and curly castro have a group together uh so i'm working closely with them I'm working uh, on a project with uh, Jason Furlow, who's Nassage from New Kingdom. Okay, nice. He's a little less known, but he's actually a fucking legend. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, so I'm working on stuff with him. Uh, I'm working on stuff. I don't know. So much stuff. I could tell you offline some stuff. But yeah, like online, what I can say that that's I'm, I'm really excited about this, the work I have coming with Fatboy Sharif. I'm really excited the work I have coming with Shrapnel. Uh, I have an album coming with an artist named Chaz Canary, who's from West Virginia. He's really cool. Check him out when it drops. Okay. Virtually unknown, you know, not virtually unknown, but not on the radar like these other artists. Um, yeah, I'll send you a link to all this stuff. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And yeah, that's those sound really great. Sharif and uh, Shrapnel in particular. I'm actually talking with the Curly Curly next week. So cool. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be great. So let him know I didn't say too much. All I just said is that we were working together. Yeah, yeah, that's all. And I think <laughs> I think that's been known. That's been known publicly. So that's all. I think you're in the clear. Uh, but man, this has been fantastic. Uh, really, really glad to kind of chop the chop it up with you and give us all that detailed insight that I was really looking for because I think thanks, man. Super, super under talked about all the behind the scenes work that goes even past just the beat maker piece, which obviously you are too. Right. So. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Uh, Thank you, yep. man. This was Take fun. Take care. Yeah. Peace out. Later, bro. They said no second chances when I see them go again. They gave vague answers. That's why I value candor. So this concludes today's episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some fresh new perspectives on the latest rap releases, as well as a recommendation for the next great rap record to add to your collection. 
If you're an artist looking to level up your career, getting more gigs, album sales, merch sales, whatever it may be, I would love to help you with that by providing you artist development and writing services. So if you're interested, contact me via email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com or hit me up via Twitter or Instagram at rapmusicplugpod. I would be honored to lend my expertise and help you grow your career as an artist. And also for regular rap fans that just want to hear more quality commentary on the genre, follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. For exclusive content and updates related to the show, follow the Rap Music Plug podcast on Facebook to help the show grow and ensure that everyone's listening to the best rap music at all times. Follow the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Make sure you leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts so that the show can be spotlighted by that wonderful algorithm and be exposed to more people. You can find all of this information along with exclusive playlists created by myself by clicking the link that's in the episode's notes. So that's all for today. Talk to you soon. Peace.